0: This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Wolverhampton Wanderers foundation phase coach, Mark McLaren. He discusses his learnings from his study visit to Villarreal, Real, the benefits of having diversity within his group and how it's affected the players within it, and the positive check and challenge culture that's been created at the club. We did have some technical issues whilst recording this podcast, so it may not sound quite as good as normal, but please bear with it as the conversation is well worth it. I hope you enjoy. Mark, uh, thanks for spending a bit of time with me on your Tuesday morning. Um, I guess the first question, how are things? How are you? Are you all safe and well?
1: Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me first off, Mike. Appreciate um, being on. Um, yeah, all, all good at the moment. Um, difficult. Um, obviously, we're all in this in this situation. You know, motivation at times can be a little low. Just missing being in, getting back to a bit of normality. I think we had, we had such a good run. Um, from August through to um, to December in terms of getting our programme back on its feet and players being in and having pretty much a normal schedule, games every single weekend. and We played a number of fixtures um, over that period. So to get back to that and then suddenly, boom, it's just back down to kind of nothing and back to kind of like an on- online um, format. It's a bit frustrating. Um, but yeah, all, all good. Just just hopefully can get back sometime soon.
0: Perfect. I guess for people that don't kind of know you or know your background, <laughs> you just want to explain kind of what your role is and where you work and whatnot.
1: Yeah, so um, my, co- my current role is um, I'm the under-11s lead coach at Wolverhampton Wanderers Academy. I've been at the, the Academy for approximately six years, just over six years now altogether. I've been um, a full-time coach there um for about four and a half four and a half years so it's been a pretty pretty good stint so far um worked a number of a number of different roles in terms of age groups so when i first entered i entered as a pre-academy coach part-time um i then quickly moved into the academy i uh, I think my first role was as an under 10s assistant um and then i became a lead coach at under nines um and then I landed at a full-time full-time position and just predominantly worked across the foundation foundation phase from under-8s through to um, under-11s and touched on under-12s as well, but predominantly um, 9s to 11s.
0: You're obviously working kind of with the younger ones at the minute and that's where kind of our paths across. crossed. Um, I guess in your time uh, with, with the club, you'd have seen quite a transformation in terms of their standing in kind of English football, but also the facilities and whatnot, the improvements and stuff there. For you, kind of seeing that transformation, how, how enjoyable has it been being part of that process? And is there anything in particular that stood out to you?
1: It's been, it's been unbelievable. Like, um, if I take you back, when I first joined the club, I think the club were, I think, 18th or something in the championship. Um, great, still a great club, good academy, um, but we, we were limited uh, in regards to some of the things that we could do um, some of the the players we can recruit um, Wolverhampton is a very very small area in comparison to kind of if you think about our rivals or you, you know the teams we're kind of competing with in regards to kind of recruitment we're competing with Birmingham City we're competing with Aston Villa we're competing with West Bromwich Albion who are all based in Birmingham which is a, a city that's on the i don't know what the number i think is like five million big or something whereas um wolverhampton's you know a few hundred thousand um so, so you are kind of struggling in that in that regard um so it, it was difficult um, we had a good program in place the facility had just been built so the new the building that you know you you would have seen when you come up to our place that had just been built i think it just been finished i think the the summer before or the year before i joined um, so that that was great, but you know we all know it's 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 largely a big part of your your um your academy's recruitment, and we struggled in, in that regard. But then, obviously, over the years with the new investment, you know the new owners came in, more investment into the academy. That means we're able to to re- cast our net a bit further in regards to recruitment and get and get um some better players, and if you want to p- uh, put it that way. Um, the facilities, the things that we're able to do, and I think the biggest thing for me, or the biggest kind of um, what what the new ownership has allowed us to do, is is uh, introduce our international um, program. So over the last like two years, uh, post um, or oh, sorry, pre lockdown, pre pre COVID, was we able to like start to travel a little bit more and, and take players away, and just basically just give up, give our players bigger and better experiences uh, along their journey so we've been to a number of different countries across Europe um, some of our groups have, have been lucky enough to travel to China some of our older groups uh, and to, to you know eastern europe and so just just things that just things like that and we, we would never have been able to do that a few years ago i think there's boys in our under 15 16s groups who have been on probably you know you can probably count on one hand the amount of tours they've been on because they were, they were at the club when the club weren't able to, to do that. I think if you look at Morgan Gibbs-White, who's in our, who's in our first team now, I, 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 I didn't coach him myself, but I don't think he went on five tours as a, as a youngster coming through the academy, whereas some of our boys now have been on five tours in one season. Um, so that's been a massive, massive uh, part of the club. And then obviously, along with the ownership, just the exposure of the club, You know i think people look at us a little bit different now um you know i think before we were kind of seen as just this kind of this championship club um yeah category one but championship you know how people kind of perceive that sort of thing but now we're actually seen as kind of a a real force within within the premier league and therefore um within the academy program as well um so you do you do feel that so yeah we've been on a a fantastic journey and it's been it's been amazing to be to be a part of it yeah
0: and have you seen any um, any cultural differences to the club? I, and I guess this can work in two ways. You have one in terms of ownership and, you know, w- what they've brought from their experiences. But I guess the other way you can look at it is in terms of your first team staff and players that obviously have a very heavy Portuguese um, heritage and Lincoln stuff. Have, has any of that filtered down into the academy and uh, like challenged the way you or we would traditionally do stuff
1: um from, from what i know you know obviously nuno has um his way of doing things and i think culture is a, is a massive part of of what they what they do definitely brought a, Portu- a portuguese feel um it was really interesting actually speaking on one of the tours I went on speaking to a coach from porto and was we just having a conversation similar, similar to what we're having now in in regards to that. And he was asking me about certain things that are happening at the club. And I said, yeah, those, those things do happen. And he was like, yeah, that, that's, that's Nuno's way. That's how he, how he likes um, things to be done. So, but in terms of filter, filtering down, I think just standards, I think one big thing about Nuno's first team is he's you know, from what I hear. I've not had a personal conversation with him, but it is just, it's just standards. It's just, you know, um, being on time, um, standards on and off on and off the pitch. Uh, you see that in the team. I mean the way just in the way they play. It's it's a very it's a very disciplined way of playing playing football. Uh, and and therefore you need to you need to have certain standards in, in what you do on and off the pitch. And I think that's filtered down so that filters down through kind of our academy manager, through our head of coaching, um and then just challenging I, I think what we we've got a very kind of um Check and challenge culture that I think, I think we've we've always probably said we've had it, but definitely over the years that the the first team have really started to really go. That I think that check and challenge culture has increased as well because the fact of the matter is, it's now um, the challenge for us to get players into our first team has just gone up twofold, tenfold, hundredfold because you know. We're signing players, for 17-year-olds 30, for £35 million. Um, You know, we're signing, you know, Ruben Neves, João Moutinho, you know, all these just ridiculously good players. So how are we going to get some of our boys in, into that mix as well? I think we benefit from the fact that Nuno um, has a small squad. So, because he has a small squad, that definitely opens up opportunities for kind of some of our younger players to at least train in that group. And then you've probably seen with the change of the rules lately in terms of having more players on the bench. We've had a lot of our academy boys have those experiences of being being with the first team, but still, for being honest, that's still only a step. We we want we want to see players actually playing week in week out in the in the first team so i think the culture has definitely gone to a definitely like we need we need to always be checking and challenging um being solution based and i think that that has filtered down from the first thing just because of of where we are as a club now
0: in terms of the um kind of in place check and challenge how do you go about creating that culture how was that embedded what type was there any explicit um actions that were taken to encourage that and How does that look from a day-to-day, week-to-week basis?
1: Um, I don't think there was anything particularly put in place. I think just over time, we've just got used to um, the powers that be, the guys that are in charge, um, kind of always just just questioning, you know, why are you doing that? What's what's the reasoning behind that? Not just allowing us to have, have free reign. And us understanding the reason, the reasons for that, um, you know, on, on a day-to-day basis, that probably just looks like, you know, um, I've got my session plan ready. Someone's asking me about about the session. Okay, what what are you thinking today? So that constant kind of checking in. All right, but okay, have you thought about doing it this way? Have you thought about doing it that way, which is fine. And then, from a personal standpoint, I'm I'm a very I'm a very open open person. Uh, and I think a lot, a lot of us, a lot of us are in terms of, we don't mind, we don't mind that actually, actually it benefits us. And actually what it's taught me, what I probably do more because of that is I probably go to my head of coaching. I probably go to the Academy manager and other coaches to ask them for advice on, on sessions. Like, Oh, this is, this is the idea I've got. What do you, what do you think? Um, Whereas probably six years ago, I probably didn't didn't do that because that um, that can probably be perceived as um, I know weak, not weak weak probably not the right word, but do you know what I mean? It's, it's more um, you want to be seen to know what you, what you're doing, what you're talking about. But actually, there, there's actually a, a strength in in being a little bit vulnerable and a little bit kind of open to that to that instant feedback. And I think that's just I've kind of grown up in this as well. But like I said, I've been at the club six years now, so I've kind of got used to that. Um, And also, you know, during this period now, lockdown, I mean, um, we're having, you know, CPDs and things like that. So rather than just having the CPD and then it's gone, um, we'll have reflections. So we'll have a follow up to the CPD. So I've actually got one um, later on today. So we had a CPD the other day. It was around about an initiative um, around um, final final third play. Um, So something that kind of head of coaching um, and the uh, analysts have have put together. So they've done that. But rather than letting that just go now, okay, now we're going to come back uh, and have a meeting today about, okay, what do we think of that? What are we going to, what are we going to use? What, what do we like? What didn't we like? So I think that's, that's just the culture that we're in. It's never just a kind of, here it is, right, just go away and, and, and use what you want. It's always coming back to, to the messages and talking about what we've been discussing.
0: And it's, I assume from uh, what you're saying there, it's kind of the, you know, the leaders or the, the people at the top, the way they challenge, and I guess doing that in a healthy way which then I guess trickles down kind of through your coach and staff and through your age group. So if they went in and were kind of being a bit gun ho and were like, no, ripping session plans up. Then all of a sudden that environment maybe doesn't look as positive, but if they're doing it a way where they are questioning you skillfully and then maybe sometimes go, you know what? I really like that. See how it works. Let me know. Or other times I might go, have you thought about this? It creates an environment where, if you are challenged, you don't feel it as a personal t- attack, it's more, you know, we're doing what's best for the environment, the other staff, the kids
1: um, or whatever that looks like. Absolutely. To- totally agree. And that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's not a gung ho approach. It's not, nah, that's rubbish. Do something else. It's kind of, okay, I, I see what you're thinking there, but have, have you, have you considered this? And, and then for me, being brave enough then to be, to kind of, if they do suggest something else, being brave enough to put, you know, this is this is my thinking. And that has happened a few times where I've been questioned on something because you always have to remember the person sometimes won't understand the context of why you're doing something, especially if you just show them, say, oh, this is the session I'm, I'm looking at and you explain it, but they might not understand the, the deeper meaning behind it. So once you explain that, then they might be like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I get that. Or you might explain it and they say, "Yeah, but I think you can. I think it can be done in a better way." And what's great about our club is those people who, the people that I get to go to to ask those questions. So whether it's like I say, academy manager, head of coaching, uh, foundation lead, they've all done. They've all done my role. They've all bit. They've all coached at under under nines, under tens, under elevens. So for me, for me that. I like that personally just because it's coming, I know it's coming from a place of experience rather than uh, I think in, in in a football culture in England can be very hierarchical in terms of like, you know, the under 23s coach is almost seen as the best coach and, and it trickles down. So it's almost like, yeah, go and see the under, under 23 or the under 18s coach. But we know a lot of the times, the under 18s coach at a lot of the academies have never coached a seven-year-old an eight-year-old and nine-year-olds so asking them for their advice yeah they can give you some good stuff but it's, it's it doesn't come from a place of experience coaching that age group it probably just comes from just a pure just a coaching experience um, so that's why I feel quite lucky that the people that I can go to have have coached at the age groups so therefore i think it's a more it can be more um more of a holistic um view of of, of that session and and coaching that group of players
0: and i'd imagine as well kind of on this topic is that um it, at the top end it's obviously more related to first team football you know, you're very you're close-ish to the first team. If you're at 18s, for example, a couple more steps and hopefully they'll be in that environment. So it's going to be led quite a lot by current trends. You look at three-five-two; that's made a comeback recently or, you know, types of presses with Liverpool and stuff. And the 18s coach may specialise in that. But what he maybe doesn't specialise in is an under-9 who... Has been cooped up at school. Day has got loads of energy, and you're trying to get him to engage in a one v one. And so, it's an interesting point you make in terms of actually, everyone's got a skill set. It's just where you've dis- developed that skill set, and you know how you use that in an appropriate environment.
1: Exactly, exactly, uh, and like you say, that I think the older they get, um, kind of the percentages of the focus changes, doesn't it? So, you know, the under-23s coach is probably not thinking technical that that much. He's probably expecting the the lads in the under-23s, he's expecting them to be able to execute things um, well, technically. Um, He's probably looking more from a a tactical and maybe a psychological point of view. Uh, Whereas, even though we definitely... Do consider that. I mean, as the under-11s coach, I do think tactically at times. I'm definitely thinking psychologically. Our program is based around um, technical outcomes, um, and and nothing nothing sits on its own. Everything's kind of intertwined with each other. But that's that's what I'm thinking. So I'm thinking about you know, can you receive on the half turn? Can you receive with the back foot? Is you if is the type of pass you use the correct one? Did you punch it in? things like that as, as as you will know. So um the viewpoint is is different. It's different. So when you're trying to deliver these sessions and putting these sessions together, that's um definitely what what um what we're thinking about. And it's, and it's different from the from the age groups above or the higher ones.
0: Is there any examples of a time you've been challenged either by um like your head of coaching or the county manager or any of the staff on the way through that you've come away and gone that was so simple but so effective and it's kind of adapted your approach moving forward?
1: Yeah, like um, definitely, def, there's, there's been a number, number of times that's happened, um, particularly from Scott. Um, Scott Sellers, our, our academy manager, well, he's actually gone up to being um, a technical director now, but he's still kind of overseeing the, um, the academy. Um, but yeah, sometimes he, he, can, he can break down a practice um into a real real simplistic manner and you're like oh okay i can see how how that that will work and then, then what i'll do i'll always go out and try it and sometimes i'll get it wrong in regards to like uh i don't know the space so for example one of his favorite practices is a four goal game because four goal game you get a lot of outcomes, but one of the biggest outcomes is kind of switching the play. Technically, um, you know, past detail, moving it quickly, recognizing opportunities to switch, um, overloads, things, things like that. Uh, and I remember he recommended he really enjoys that practice, and I hadn't done it for a while, so I did it. But I got the I got the area wrong. It, it was too it was too small. I couldn't really um, get it out. So I went I went back to him. Spoke it through. And, and then I, at, to be honest with you, at the time, I didn't recognise that it was the area, the area was the problem. Um, So when I went back to him, we had a conversation and then boom, like, and it seems really, really simple. I'm probably talking it through now. I feel a little bit silly because I'm like, how do I not recognize that? But sometimes you you are just engrossed in the, in the practice and then your mind's going, you're thinking, this is not quite working. I'm not sure how to really correct it right now. And sometimes it just takes those, those real simple conversations um, to, to get it, to get it out uh, I think also like in that practice i'd locked I'd locked the boys in the area um to begin with, which doesn't really which meant that actually I couldn't get the outcome out that I wanted because there was never the the correct or the overload on one side to free up the space on on the other side of the pitch, so little things little things like that, and I think we 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 are all coaches that we'll put on practices we'll get it wrong we've got to be brave enough and and be open enough to kind of ask advice of of others um whoever that whoever that might be it doesn't necessarily have to be the academy manager the head of coaching i speak to me and the under 12s coach ryan we you know we speak all the time about about practices um because we because we work so close together and sometimes there will be you know i'll push players into his group and sometimes some of his a couple of his players might come and play play with the elevens at at different times so um, it's important that we're always communicating. So I'll always uh, ask his advice. I tried this and it didn't quite work. What do you reckon? And he'll and he'll do the same with me. So we're just an, an open an open group of, of coaches and um, sometimes And I love I really love simple practices. I don't like um, complicated stuff. I don't like stuff that it takes me ten minutes to get the kids to understand what I want them to do. I want the ball rolling straight away this is what I need you to do boys boom let's go and let's go and do it um because I just think it's waste it just waste time and it's not it's not enjoyable for, for a 10 year old to be to be standing around they just want to they just want to want to play so I I'm a big big fan of of simple practices
0: yeah it's an interesting concept around the ball rolling time and I think what you said there is really good and I know my experience um that sometimes you you, I, I, you you have it where you put a practice on, you're like, why isn't this working? I don't understand. And it just takes someone to step back a little bit and go, oh, it's just this. I, 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 there's one in particular I remember. I was doing a phase of play and we were looking at midfield receiving and I'd set it up kind of locked in, but kind of not. I'd said that certain players had to be in certain areas, but everyone could go free. Um, and the essential issue I had was I didn't have... Um, enough players in the central area to allow the practice, and I i did it on the Wednesday, didn't work. Started on the Friday, didn't work. And then I got my uh, like boss at the time to come and have a look, and he went, Just move these two in there. And literally within five minutes, I've got all the outcomes I've been searching for two sessions for. But I think the bravery, like you said there, to be willing to get it wrong a couple of times, so then get what could potentially be a really good session and outcomes, important. Um, yeah. in, in terms of um, for you guys as an academy what is your academy
1: vision what is the Wolves way if you like um, I guess I, I kind of uh, it's based around principles um, so kind of dominate trying to dominate possession as, as much as we, we can um, playing through the thirds um, controlling the opposition without the ball um, things like things like that we have I've got a kind of a list of a list of stuff that we kind of we kind of work off, but essentially, you know, as as an academy, we want to produce, we want to produce exciting players across across the pitch. We want players that can can are adaptable, can play in multiple um, positions, um, because that's a real key feature, and that's probably something that's probably changed over the last like couple of years. Actually, you know, two or three years, kind of watching, looking at Nuno's teams, and realizing actually. Players need to be adaptable. So if I point out someone like um I don't know, Traore being being the obvious one. If you if you count the number of positions you've seen him playing in a wolves team, you know, it's it's three or four. Um Donka, same, you know, he's played high up the pitch, he's played in the middle of the pitch, he's played at the back. Um Connor Cody's had to had to adapt this year, you know, he's he's gone from playing he, he was a midfielder, wasn't he, you know, back in the day, but then he's, he's very much a, a middle of a back three. Then he's had to go play in a back four. Um, so that adaptability of the players uh, is is really, really important. And it's probably something that we've done at foundation phase um, for a long time, but I think the age groups up as well um, are having to consider that as well and making sure that players can can play a, play across the pitch. Um, and I think that w- where we've changed as well, and, and I think this comes back to my original point when I was talking about the importance of recruitment. Is if you look at historically, um, at walls over the last kind of 15 20 years, the positions that have kind of been the most successful have been kind of at the back. So, you know, if I point out players like, um, uh, Dom Iorfa, um, Danny Bart, um, Ebanks Landell, Carla Keeby, um, you know, they all play at the back end of the pitch. And I don't think that is a coincidence in terms of where the academy was. So I think that you're a product of your your environment, you're a product of, you know, what is going on at your club. So I think that historically, because qu- probably wolves haven't been able to recruit far and wide and have the best players, like for example, like a, a Chelsea, for example, where Chelsea produced players all over well, they produce really attacking players. You know, I think that if you look at it, the Academy teams probably when those boys were coming through, probably spent the majority of their time without the ball defending. And therefore that's the kind of those are the players you, you're gonna you're gonna um, you're gonna produce. Uh, but we also know that, you know, to be really profitable and, and kind of maximise that market, it's the players at the it's the players at the top end of the pitch that are really going to bring in bring in the money for for the club in terms of not only getting players into the first team but also being able to move move players on. Um, so I think that that's kind of the aim aim of the club now is to try and produce more of those exciting players at the sharp end of the sharp end of the pitch. And that's really good for us. And the sort of better our groups are getting at the younger age groups, it means we can be on the ball more. It means we can, um, you know, produce those exciting players that are able to beat players one v one and go and score more goals and create more opportunities on the pitch. Um, I think that's that's kind of one of the one of the big kind of changes over the last few years for the club.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point and I've said it on here before. I was on a course and they mentioned this and they said if you look at like Pickford, Maguire, Walker, Stones, all of them started at other academies where maybe they had to defend slightly more than attack and then have gone to move on. Um, And I think it's really interesting. Obviously, there's a theme there for you guys in terms of when maybe you weren't able to go out and recruit consistently or, you know, when you weren't able to draw in all the best players from Birmingham or surrounding areas, you naturally retreat slightly, which means you get more opportunities to defend. Um, as an academy, I think it's a really, a really interesting point. In terms of making lads more adaptable, um, in, I guess, in terms of positions and uh, principles, how do you go about doing that from a week to week basis? Do you have a curriculum in place? Is there a set set of guidelines for coaches to follow? What does that look like?
1: I think the first, thing, um, the first thing is definitely kind of the focus on development over, over winning. And that's, that's been a challenge for, for everybody. Um, there's no point, in, no point in denying that, really. But that comes from the top. And our academy manager, Scott, he um, is very, very clear on that, particularly with, with us as foundation. He said to me, he said to me, it was actually, funny enough, it was actually after a game in the Corey Price. I think I was playing against you, and um, and 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 that was a competitive day. So that that didn't really matter. That was okay. That that was okay for me to kind of drive the boys and um want to try and win that game. I don't, I, don't remember, I wonder if you remember that game. I think we drew nil nil or one one. It was it was at our place. Yeah, was, I remember. I'll first be honest,
0: game we, we played Man City the day before. <laughs> So the lads had turned up. We beat a at City and then we played your boys. I was like, their legs are looking tired.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I do remember that game. I,
1: I remember saying, like, you know, really driving the boys. And what he said to me was, that's okay. But, like, and, one, and the message that he kind of um, really emphasizes all the time is, I don't care about the result. I just want to turn up. But when I come and watch you play, I just want to see the boys doing the right things, playing playing the right way, trying the things that you know we, we talk about. Um, so when you hear that from from your academy manager, it takes the pressure off of the thought of okay, if if we lose if we lose today, particularly on a, on a Sunday games program game. Um, so I think that's that's definitely the um, the, the the first kind of um, thing that's put in place so then what that gives allows you to do then is be free to start to rotate the players so i've had a i talk about my current um, my current group i've had a real challenge this this year so far in regards to having a number of players that can play in central midfield but even though that's a challenge it's actually a positive challenge because what it means is that I can rotate players into different, into, naturally into different positions, rather than having to force it. Um, so I've got one boy that that that's predominantly played at the back um, so far this year, but more and more he's really showing that um, he can play in, in central midfield as well. So you know, moving him him in there, playing different players at the back allowing him to develop. And actually, I, I think I think long-term, he, he might be a centre-back. Who knows? You know, we can't make those sorts of predictions. But I, I, if I was put to put my money on it, that's probably where he will end up. But what he is showing is that by playing in centre-field, he's getting more touches on the ball. Um, he's having to play 360 now, so he's having to see all around him. Um, his recovery runs um, are higher. Like he's having to do more sprints. So our under-11s wear the GPS vests. So we're able to see that. So his numbers weren't really getting, getting any... They weren't high at all. And that's because he was playing at the back and he was pretty much just standing there the whole, the whole game. So little things like that. So we were encouraged to to do that and, and get different outcomes for different, for different players. And um, I've got another player that... <clears throat> Well, are probably the top players in the group. You know, he's played up front. He's played on the right. He's played in the ten. Um, I've got players that they look like they're going to be central players. So playing the four, playing the eight, play at centre back. You know, maybe stick you stick you up front at times. So I, I'm I'm constantly kind of constantly um, rotating and adapting. The other way we can do not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well. So. Um, one thing that's really, really improving all the time is our um, analysis department. So being able to kind of, so every game gets clipped, which I I know is a real luxury. Um, So every single one of our games gets clipped. So the boys are able to go back and watch watch their clips back. We're able to go back and watch their clips back and talk about certain things within the game, playing in those different positions. Now, I don't focus too much tactically. I will touch on it a little bit, but I don't want it. Don't want that to be the main focus. Mostly, still thinking about those technical outcomes. You know, you know where you are on the pitch, and then and then how how are you receiving the ball in that position? Are you on the half turn? Um, are you scanning? You know, what sort of pass can you make in that position? And then can you execute it? So. Different, different things like that. So though, the analysis and then just that natural rotation of players is definitely a way of kind of um, helping the players adapt to different, different areas of the pitch.
0: And how do you frame that to the boys? Because I'd imagine, you know, if you've got a, a centre-back <laughs> who's played there for the majority of his life, even though he's young, and then you're saying to him, oh, we're going to play you as an eight today or you're going to play as a seven today. Obviously, there may be a dip in perceived performance because you know there might be times where he, his body shape isn't correct to receive or doesn't check and and, and loses the ball um mm. how do you go about framing that so that the players understand that those challenges are going to benefit them in the long term
1: uh well i'll probably repeat what i, what I said to you in regards to kind of first of all using first team examples so i say look at triore He's played right wing back. He's played right wing. He's played in the 10. He's played up front. So that's 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 an example, right? And they're always looking at the top end, aren't they? They're always looking um, for those examples. Um, also, I think kids, a lot of the time they see, um, am I the only one that's having to do this or other, are other people having to do it? So when you can use examples of other kids having to do it, then you'd hope that, They'd see that as okay. You're not just picking on me. This is not just something um, that that you're just asking me asking me to do. There are those players, and don't get me wrong. You know, I've I've had it this season. I've had players that I've got one boy that um, has predominantly played in centre midfield his whole life. I mean, when you say his whole life, the kid's ten years old, so it's kind of like a, f- a few years in the grand scheme of things, and it's been really hard for for him to understand why suddenly i'm asking him to do do something else not just him um but his parents his parents as well um but but the message that you know you try to put put out there is look you know we can continue to persist and play him in this one single position but when it comes down to it if you are not Outstanding, unbelievable, literally the best we've got in that position. There and then, or it might not even be that, it might be just a change of opinion. So, you're with me now under 11s, you get to under 14s, and suddenly the under 14s coach has recruited a player. A player's come in from we've recruited a boy from Newcastle who's come in for however hundreds of thousands of pounds or whatever it might be because we know that's how academy football works and suddenly he's playing in the same position as you and he's perceived to be better what else can you do now what where else can you go all right i'm going to try you here but then you've never played there before so suddenly now decision time's come in and it's almost like all right what what are you going to do so you have you have to frame it, and I probably wouldn't go into those that deep. I wouldn't go into that detail with the player, but particularly with the parent, I'd go into that detail and say, look, I'm, would we, we've got to do this, and it's not that he's not going to play in his favorite position. He needs to have something. He needs to have two, like one or two other positions that he understands and can go and do, and can go and do well at just in case anything happens. And also, it can benefit you in that position. So, like I just said, you know, that one boy that pr- probably going to be a centre-back, but I think by playing him in center midfield, it expands his knowledge, and then it also gives you an appreciation. Um, Paul McGuinness at, at Man United, we had a CPD with him um, during the first lockdown, I think it was, and he talked about uh, they use a phrase at Man United called pass appreciation. So uh, basically what that means is if you play a player in a different position, so he use Rashford as, as the example. So Rashford was predominantly a nine um, or, or, or maybe played on the wing, but he said by playing him in a different position, he now understands the type of pass that that player would want, if that makes sense. So say you're, you're a winger, but then suddenly you're playing up front and then you go back to being a winger. Well, I've I've played at front, so now I understand the, the type of pass you would want in the, in that position and having that pass appreciation. Um, so yeah, so it's, there's so many different outcomes from that rotation, but yeah, it can be it can be a challenge. It can be a challenge explaining that. But so far, so far, so good. There's been a couple of hiccups in terms of just trying to get those messages from, but at the end of the day, we you know we we coach at an academy level. We coach at a level where we've got to constantly be developing these players. Otherwise, they will get left behind. We have to try and do what we think is best for them in the, for their long-term development.
0: I think it's a really interesting point. You look at someone like John O'Shea. He was probably at Man United for the years because he could do a number of things they needed him to do. play centre-back, right-back, left-back, centre-mid, one of the wide players and actually it becomes a real useful tool for a manager knowing you've got someone who um, is is dependable and has the knowledge base to be able to cope with those roles and I think what you've touched on there around gaining knowledge is really uh, interesting and you you talk to uh, like defenders or previous defenders sometimes they make really good striker coaches in terms of movement and why is that because they tell you what they hated they tell you as a centre-back what did I hate what did I hate the most well I hate mm-hmm. it when you stand off this shoulder and I can't see man and ball okay well that's a really in- easy principle to get across to a striker from someone who's talking personal experience um so I Absolutely. think you've given players the opportunity to be in that role and go okay so how do I like receiving the ball or what movements are challenging for the other player to mark and stuff then hopefully broadens their knowledge and kind of goes from there and um, increases their their output. How challenging is it for you to implement this I guess within a games program as well? Obviously we touched on earlier the Corey Price which is, is relatively competitive in terms of the teams that are there and although obviously football's always about particularly these age groups the development side I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we said that kids don't want to win when they play. I think mm-hmm. you know they absolutely do. So how challenging is it when you're, you know, encouraging kids to maybe step outside of his comfort zone against a really good team, against a Chelsea, against uh Birmingham, a Southampton, a Cardiff, whoever that might be?
1: Um, so I think the way, way we do it, it, it is a challenge. It is a challenge because, first of all, I think sometimes you can get caught up in the game. But I think the way you combat that, or the way I found myself, so i to speak from my own personal kind of um, experience, is the way I can kind of combat that is planning the periods um, beforehand, planning my subs beforehand. So rather than doing it off the fly, mm-hmm. where then it kind of gives you an excuse to use the scoreline as a reason to do or not to do something. If I've already planned it, then I'm then I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick to that. It's a bit easier to stick to that. Um, also, rag rate in the games. So as like everyone kind of does now, you kind of you look at your fixtures and you kind of say, okay, this is a this is a red game. This is you know we're, we're up against it today. So probably what I wouldn't do is start playing players in positions that they're now uncomfortable because they're already uncomfortable. Even in their strongest position, they are already uncomfortable. So if we're going to, and I'll use them as an the example, we're going to Man City, um, away at Man City, you know, kids are nervous. They know they're going to be up against it. I'm not suddenly going to start telling the, the right winger, you're going to go play a centre-back for, for a period, because he's thinking, flipping out! I'm struggling already where I am. Um, and now you're going to put me somewhere completely different so I think that that's an important distinction to make. Um, so if the game was an, an amber game um, then there will be some rotation. If the game was a green game, then there'll be massive rotation. But, I mean, if it's if, if I perceive the game as a green game, then you know, they might only play in their strongest positions for one period and they'll they'll spend the rest of the game somewhere completely different. We we had a game against uh, like a like a private academy uh, just before just before we finished for Christmas. And um, I pretty much played, I pretty much played, e- no, not pretty much, every player played out of position. Uh, and then I was just doing crazy stuff, like um, I just shout switch. And I'd already preempted what the switch meant. So literally at that moment when I shouted switch, all the players had to run into their new position and then play for a little bit, and then I'll switch it again and switch it. So the constantly thinking: Hey, what's my what's my new responsibility? What's what's my new role? And you know, I had my striker playing at centre back. I had my you know my ten playing you know right back, like just just crazy stuff. Um, so that's that's how that's how you can get it out. I think the rag the rag rate is important. Understanding, you know, there's no there's no point for me making the kids completely so uncomfortable that they get absolutely nothing out nothing out of it. Um, you always want there to be an element of success. I think I think challenge is really, really important, but I think just as important is, is success as well within within the games. You want them to feel that, okay, yeah, I can see how that's worked for me. I think
0: it's a really interesting principle. And I know um, from speaking to a few people at the FA, Ajax do something similar where they have a number-based system. So if they're playing seven aside, for example, they have numbers one to nine. And then every 10 minutes, the players rotate round that number. So they won't have like a set goalkeeper, for example. Everyone mm-hmm. would get an opportunity in goal. Everyone yeah. would get an opportunity right back, left back. And you work your way through the entire system until you've done all 10, um, yes. which I think is a really interesting way of doing it. And like you said there, think the context of when you're doing this is important when they're already stressed or in a stressful situation that's probably when they need more support and this may not be the right time to do it for all of them i still think for some of them the ones that you can stretch you might chuck them in a challenging environment to get those extra rewards. but yeah. um in your green games i think you know it's a real opportunity for them just to develop in different areas and see different pictures etc yeah exactly Exactly. Um, one thing you mentioned, which I haven't had extensive amounts of experience with, so it'd be interesting to see kind of the benefits of it, is the GPS side. Um, yeah. So how have you found using that with, with the 11s, and
1: kind of what major outcomes have you had from it? Um, just, just really interesting. It's, it's more for us. It's more for us rather than, rather than the players. Um, obviously, you know, the players enjoy wearing it from a psychological point of view. It makes them feel closer to the goal makes them you know that they see the older players wearing these gps vests and and it, and it makes them feel kind of it's a bit special in regards to that um but the 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 interesting the interesting thing is we can we can start to really look at okay what are our what would we consider our elite players doing um within the games we can start to compare and contrast across the age groups across previous data um so we can definitely see what what the boys are doing. We can compare them to one another within the groups. Now, what we don't do, as as they wouldn't do it at any level, is compare, you know, the positions. We compare, you know, what what's this centre midfielder doing in comparison to that centre midfielder. But then we all know it goes a little bit deeper, deeper than that, because it's not about kind of um, if you ran the most and that means you've been been the most effective. But you can kind of you can get some kind of idea about levels of levels of effort and, you know, do do they need to be doing more? One, one of the really interesting ones I got was um, I've got uh, one boy who every game, his distance covered is unbelievable. His number of sprints, he blows absolutely everyone out of the park with the number of sprints he's doing. Um, so he's, he's kind of, I don't know whether you like HML, is like the the number that kind of comes out in regards to the axles and d cells and things like that. And he was just blowing everyone out of the park. So when the first few weeks that he had it on, I'm like, hell, And he's, he's like in the top, he's in the top three in the group in, in regards to kind of performance. But then what we realised was the reason why he was getting all these sprints is because he's always out of position. So, top player, top top player you know scores goals creates goals skillful ball mastery is unbelievable but then defensively he was always he's never in the right place so other team gets the ball he's not standing in the right place so now suddenly he's having to do a sprint to go and close down the player uh, that's that's got the ball Um, whereas if his positioning was was better in the first place he probably wouldn't have that sprint because he's now he's not 25 yards away from him, he's 10 yards away from him. So that was like a real um, interesting outcome from from having it and we were able to show him that. Then we was able to I was able to um, find uh, footage of times where, so basically what was happening was is that whenever the ball went off the pitch he switches off. Ball goes out for a throw in, he completely switches off. Ball goes out for a goal kick switches off. Ball gets kicked or thrown back onto the pitch. Now he suddenly switch back on. Boom! He's he, he's sprinting to where he needs to be. Um, so, basically What what we're trying to explain to him at the moment is actually as the the pitch starts to open up and he's playing nine v nine now. As the pitch starts to open up, you go eleven v eleven. You won't be able to maintain that for ninety minutes. You just won't. You just won't be able to do it unless you're absolutely superhuman um so so it's not it's not all so i think you can fall into a trap of thinking um oh yeah sprints are really really good he's working really really hard His it's is excellent this that and the other when actually it's too high it's too high and the reason for it is, is 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 more of a tactical um outcome that we need we need to correct so it can work it can work both ways
0: what so that's a, obviously a really interesting um diagnosis i guess what made you look at that in in such detail what made you have that realization
1: uh it wasn't me it wasn't me i'll put my hands up it was my so i'm lucky enough to have a have a sports scientist an intern sports scientist that works works with me works with the group so it's like a so we, we there's a team of three so it's me my assistant coach support coach and then there's um and there's my sports scientist so it's something that he actually, funny enough, now I'm talking about him. He actually worked at Southampton as a, as a um, on his um, what do you call placement year during okay. his un- during his undergrad. He worked with the first team. It was the year that Southampton were in the Europa League. Van Dyke was there. Um, you know the, the team was the team was decent. What was the manager's name? The French, the French guy was the manager. Who else? Um, Who else? Well, was the manager. So he is. So he's a, he's a young guy. I mean, he did that. I think maybe how many years ago would that be now? Maybe five years ago or something like that. Five, I would have thought. So um, he um, has got extensive experience. So I'm I'm very very lucky to have him as my as my sports scientist. Um, i mean he 's gone from southampton first team and now he's he 's working kind of under elevens which is crazy uh, but he's doing it, he basically doing his masters so he 's doing his masters at Wolverhampton University, so as a part of his masters he we we get interns from the university um so yeah it 's something that he something that he spotted to be honest with you but then once he 's told me i 've looked at it' because in my head as i'm i 'm a coach i 've got a little bit of experience within sports science through through my degree but nothing, to, nothing to to that kind of level. So when I was seeing the data, I was thinking brilliant. I was thinking, man, th- this kid's like fit. He's on it. He's sharp. He's close. But then, then you know, my, my sports scientist was just like, well, now my actually what's happening is he's just out of position all the time. And actually, we need to we need to calm it. We need to calm him down because he needs to understand that. And it, and I, think, I guess that that tactical element links to. Psychological. So, we, like I say, you know, everything's intertwined. So psychologically, if ball goes off the pitch, he's he's not, in, he's not thinking about okay, where do I need to be now? He's only thinking about that when the ball's in play. Um, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't me. I can't I can't take I can't take credit for it.
0: No, I, I think it's really interesting. I think you know, yeah. Uh, so obviously, what you're doing there is kind of being guided by the data in terms of you you've got this information rather than setting him for the first thing of going, oh, this is really good. Um, and, you know, he must be fit as a fiddle. You're now looking into why there's possible reasons for that. And imagine that will be awareness for you moving forward. Kind of when you get some of this data, if something's really low or really high or whatnot, you'll go, okay, well, let's dig a little bit deeper on that. Why is it so low? Maybe it's just because he's always in the right position, never has to sprint. As exactly, yeah. we, we need to work on getting him out of position so he needs to do more of those high uh, intensity runs because yeah. you know he's constantly in position, so I imagine that's a really good learning experience for you as well
1: Yeah, it's, br- it's brilliant, it's brilliant I mean, you can be guided by the by the data but you ca- that can't be the, the be-all and end-all um, just use it as guidance, I mean, use it just as another example on the other end of the scale or, or kind of different so we had a boy that came back in after lockdown and everybody was going he's putting a bit of weight he's looking he's looking he's looking a bit bit chunky i think we need to get him on a on a on a program you know find out what he's eating things like that the boys did a fitness test he came top um his data shows the gps data shows he's covering the most distance in games um he's playing he's one of my top players as well like he's playing the majority of the minutes, he, his, his game percentage is really, really high. Um, so it's really interesting that everyone was looking at him, thinking, "Yeah, he's not, he's not going to be fit." You know, he's just come back in from lockdown. He probably hasn't done anything. When actually, the the GPS data told us something completely different. And that's not saying that he can't get better, and we should just be like, "Oh no, he's fine." But I think also it can it can guide you into the fact that actually he's smashing everybody he's smashing everybody in regards to distance covered you know hml all that all that kind of stuff so um yeah you can use the data to kind of guide you but you need to kind of definitely delve a little bit deeper into into different things
0: yeah it's interesting it's something that i hope that I'll, I'll be able to use a, a little bit more um kind of linking back to i guess a theme that's been throughout this and something that you have in is kind of recruitment for you guys now um, as you said it's taken a bit of a step on in terms of who you're able to attract um, and where you're able to get players from what does that currently look like for you how do you go about getting kind of players into your system and what would you say is the USP for the Wolves Academy and quite a I I'd imagine not well lack of a better term volatile area in terms of you've got so many clubs in that region all trying to get the best players what does that look like for you guys?
1: um and the, the the biggest difference i guess that, that's happened is um the, our recruitment network has has been expanded which is kind of a kind of a i guess a, a natural kind of thing that was going to happen when you know, you've got more investment more money within the within the different departments therefore we can get more boots on the ground i guess more boots on the ground more more scouts out there watching players um what we've been able to do. So when I, when I first joined the club, um, all our players look, look the same. There wasn't much diversity within, within the club. Um, you know, we had a lot of kind of middle-class kids, um, coming from Wolverhampton, some kind of working-class kids within Wolverhampton, but not many. Um, and then kind of the surrounding areas, they were coming from kind of like, um, Stafford, um, I know Shrewsbury. You know these sort these sorts of areas. By throwing the net out, we've now our, our groups are a lot more diverse: white kids, black kids, Asian kids. Um, you know, we, we, we've got a real, real um, diverse, diverse looking academy now, which is fantastic. The way we've been able to do that is, yeah, we've been able to go into Birmingham and start to compete with those now when you say usp i think the main usp f- was that the team the first team was on a rise right so we were going up and our, our local rivals were kind of on on a bit of a downer we swapped positions with west Brom, which i think was key um in that in that season that we got promoted um Aston Villa were in the in the championship at the time as well, so that's nothing that we've done. I think people are just fickle if i'm being, if I'm being honest people like people are just naturally fickle so um people always look at what's the state of the of the first team that must be a reflection of the academy and we know as guys that are, are we're we're on the ground, we're in the clubs. It's nothing, South. you know, if I look at Southampton a few years ago, Southampton were in disarray and now Southampton as a club looking, unbel- looking unbelievable, great training and things like that. But we know that in terms of the academy, the things that we do is the things that we do and we can look after our players. And, but people on the outside will always look at the first team be like, oh, oh, the first team's no good. So therefore I'd, ra- I'd rather, go- I, I saw it in the first couple of years I was at the academy. I saw players go and sign for sign for Villa and sign for I think West Brom with the powerhouse really um, going sign for, just because their first team was do, was doing was doing the best out of the three out of the three clubs uh, and then obviously you still got Birmingham City as well on on the other side um, so that was kind of that unique now you've now we're all Premier League <laughs> we're all Premier League now so now. You've really got to have like a unique, a USP. You've, you've got to really be able to kind of sell your club. So I think one thing we're all about, the, we're all about the people. Um, one thing, you know, we, we're really proud of is that when people come, come to our club, um, they always like the way we made them feel. Um, there's a saying kind of people people always remember the way you made them feel rather than things, the the things that you say. Um, so we always try and just make people feel as, as welcome as we can. Um, and, and it, and it's, and it's genuine as well. I, I, I don't think that many people come to walls and leave us. And even on a, on a games program day, you know, obviously you came, you've been to our place a number of times. Um, and like things like the Koi, the Koi price, that that was a really, that was something that I kind of took on, um, primarily kind of led that for us. And, and my main thing was making sure that everyone just comes and just has a good, has a good day and leaves there thinking, yeah, that was class. That was one of the best rounds of, of, of the Koi price. Um, so that was the main thing, but I guess the, the other main thing, what we were able to do, particularly going back to kind of the owners and kind of, given us a bit more financial backing is that now we can we can go and recruit those inner city players from Birmingham we can we can give them a little bit of uh, aid in, st- in terms of getting the boys in because the fact of the matter is we can't go into we can't go to Birmingham well, where we're based is, a, is um is a really kind of um awkward place to get to i mean you you kind of you get up the motorway you get off the motorway and you're still nowhere near our training ground you've got to fight your way through wolverhampton you got to get around the ring road you know it's not like um other training grounds where boom you, you know you're just off the motorway and you're there straight away you know we feel i feel like we're miles away from the from the motorway from the links um so we've got we've got to give those families support. We've got to show those families some sort of support to, to get their to get their their sons in uh, and and help them out. So um, we we can provide um, some transport and some help in in that regard. You know, um, because the fact of the matter is, if we if we want to benefit from you know those boys, then we've got we've got to, we've got to, we've got to help them in, in whatever way we can. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's kind of the, the things things that we're doing. And, and, and I know other other clubs do that as well. I know that's not you. That's not unique to us. I think what we've had to do was being able to do that as as well. Because so that's the only way that we can try and compete for these players.
0: Uh, I think it's interesting. I see doing doing that support, which you know some families and some players need, um, is is a big one. And I think what you, what you talk about there in terms of timing. Is is crucial as well. I mean, I look at Southampton a few years ago, when you people like Gareth Bale, Theo Walcott, and stuff came through, it was obviously academy vision. We, we wanted to get young players in. It was also out of necessity to a degree at the time because you know they have had a bit of a bad run and they have been relegated on a couple of occasions. And it's just now that they, you know, as we we're on up and up and into Premier League, we're we continuing to make a more conscious effort to make sure those young players get in. And that's one of the things I, I love about the first team manager at the moment, Ralph Hasen, is the number of young players that get in opportunities um, and you're going to get occasional bad results as they may have done recently. But the ability to get those players through is really good. And for you guys being, you know, when you're going up and doing really well and everyone likes a brand of football, I think it's very rare that you hear negative things come out of the club. Um, a lot of it's very positive from the top end, which, which helps. Um, combine that with your ideas around making good people or showing people that you care is a really good one. I guess something that I, I'd like to ask you about is the diversity within the group. Um, I guess both uh, like racial and area, etc., and it's socioeconomic and whatnot. How do you feel that's benefited? Um, I guess more importantly the lads themselves how do you think that bending in periods of having a cross-section of society has helped them
1: it's massive it's absolutely massive so um <clears throat> like i say when i first come to the club all the kids look the same um i remember coaching a group um it's our current our, i want to say it's our current under 15s group uh when they were under 10 and um the boy, the boy's not with us anymore. But uh, we had, a, we had a boy uh, in in the group. He was the only black black boy in the in the in the group. And at the time, I never took any notice of it. Really, it wasn't until I think they were under 11s, and we played one of the young the the uh, under. He's under 14 now, but we played like the top player in the under tens group at the time. We played him up. And who did this boy? And he's he's a black boy as well. And who did the the under eleven gravitate to? It was this this kid straight away, and it was almost like, and I saw it straight away. I was like, wow, like the like best, the like almost best mates. And it was and it was simply for me. It was, um, you look like me. I I can relate to you. So therefore. I now feel more comfortable within this group. This kid was traveling from Birmingham, traveling in, um, coming from, uh, he lived in Handsworth, a real like low um, socioeconomic area um, coming in. And, he, and he's having to try and mix in with these boys who are coming from tel- like Telford and um, Stafford and, like the kind of techno and consul areas of Wolverhampton, which are kind of more kind of middle-class areas. And he just didn't... And when I look back on it now, I think, was that one of the reasons why he didn't quite perform? Because he just didn't feel a part a part of the group. Um, and, and this reminds me not to go, go up too off tangent, but I remember a photo coming out I don't know if you remember this of the England under 20 I think I think it was the under 21s or England under 19s Damari Gray and, and boys like that were in the, in the team I think it was the under 19s and it was a photo from the dinner hall and literally all the black players were sitting on one table and all the white players were sitting on another table and there was a massive thing made of it in the media it was almost like the FA what's this you know th- you know what's happening here there needs to be more inclusivity and blah 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 blah, and I was thinking to myself, "What are you talking about?" But that's just—don't get me wrong. Like you know, people from different racial backgrounds we mix together, and, and that's brilliant. But at the same time, sometimes in groups like that, people do naturally gravitate to people that look like them. That's not an, that's not necessarily a neg a negative thing. Sometimes that's a positive. You 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 have similar experiences life experiences you you know these boys in the england group maybe they play for the same clubs maybe so i know that's not a racial thing but they um listen to the same music they have the same interests you know their lifestyles are very very similar so that means they they will naturally gravitate to one another and I, i didn't like the way in that instance it was made to be this real big racial kind of divide within within the england group it, it just it just wasn't um, so going back to to, to our groups uh, i think now i think strength comes in in diversity so what you find is you've just got boys who think and do things in different ways because they have just different experiences but that's where but for me that's where the strength comes um so we have boys that you know, um, come from kind of more wealthy backgrounds, and you know, uh, you have kids that are coming from inner inner city backgrounds, living in high-risk flat and they're just kind of they come from these different areas, these different backgrounds, but they they make it work for the for themselves, and um, and and that that's the strength of the groups now, and that's that's what I see um, within the groups, and what it also does is. know for some of these boys what i see is these friendships being being created um that are very unlikely friendships in terms of because they play football together and they have this bond of being on the same football team no matter what their their background is whether they're wealthy not so wealthy poor whatever that might be they've got this bond so i'm seeing some great friendships being developed within these foundation phase groups where these kids probably would have never ever met because what the one kid might be a private school in you know i don't know um i don't know where, where the private school is but you know he's at a private school and the other kids are like a really rough inner city school they they probably would have never ever met but the footballs brought them together, uh, and now they're having sleepovers at each other's houses, and this, that, and the other, and, and it's fantastic. So uh, that's what that's what I see now. And then also, I think we see that on the pitch. We see it on we see you know some kids that are willing to go and go and get downright and dirty in 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 the games and be a little bit more street street wise within the games as well, which is something that we just. We just didn't have. We couldn't compete. Six years ago, when I first joined the club, we could not compete with Birmingham City, particularly at foundation phase, I must say. We couldn't compete with Birmingham City. We couldn't compete with West Brom. We struggled against Villa. like Those three clubs, um, we really struggled against. This season, it was the first time it's ever happened. We, I don't know. West Brom are going through their own kind of transition at the moment. We beat West Brom at every single age group, every single age group across the board, nines to fourteens. Never happened before. Um, and then, and then, you know, we're, we're competing and beating Birmingham at foundation phase. We're, we're competing and beating Villa at a foundation phase. So, I'm just seeing that because of that diversity of the groups, we we're, we're, we're able to do that now.
0: I think it's a really interesting idea. And I think that the ability to have diversity um, and I think a diversity of idea and opinion is the really big one for me. And a lot of that being street smart. Um, I've done a little bit of work with kids that have come out of certain areas of London. And one of the things I noticed if the foul was given away, he'd just walk off with the ball for a little bit. And I actually asked him, I said, why is that? He goes, that's what I do in the cages so I'm not going to let him do things. So in the cages, he does that. And, you know, that they, in that context, he was able to, <clears throat> um, you know, he's really physical in his 1v1 duels. And what I found, I don't know if you've had similar, but that then transpires to the rest of the group. So if he's very physical in his 1v1s, a boy who maybe naturally isn't like that, be it from inner city, outer city, he's like, well, in order to compete, I've got him. Got I've, got no cho- I've got no choice. So the man you- of the game. You've got, rather than having one or two are like that, you've got five or six. Yeah. And then you've got that six going against this six. And then that you know, the other six are like, well, all of a sudden, in order for us to compete against those guys, we've got them. Then all of a sudden, your entire group gets to a stage where actually it's really competitive. And it's just about framing that competition within the group. And that's come from the diversity to start with.
1: Exactly, exactly, and that, that, that's a that's a great point. Um, and was, I'm, while you're talking, I'm thinking of ex, thinking of examples. There's a boy in in our under 12s who his inclusion in the group is unbelievable. You know, you talk about um, oh, what what I can't remember the term he uses. You know, Damien Hughes. So we actually had a, we actually had a CPD with Damien Hughes yesterday, but um, he he in his book, The Barcelona Way. Um, cultural architects. So you have these 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 people, these individuals within groups that will that will make the culture. They'll they'll, they'll drive the culture. This one boy in particular, you know, is from he's from West Bromwich. Very, very lucky, lucky to have him. But he is a cultural architect within his group. You know, he's competitive like you wouldn't believe. Doesn't matter what team he's on. You I can put him with the you know on the worst team, his team they might not win, but they've got a chance, and that and that's that's the point about him. He gives his team a chance. That's on pitch, off pitch personalities absolute second to none. Funny. Um he's sensible, but he's funny. He brings he he involves everyone, everyone gravitates to him. You know, it's really, really funny on when you're on the coach or on the bus or you're on tour. You know, everyone gravitates to him. Everyone wants to sit next to him because he's just such great value to the group. Um, and then, uh, there's another boy in my group as as well. Um, and again, socially, great player, excellent player, but socially is where he, that's his elite. He's elite, I would say. Socially, he's not even from England. You know, he's come, from, he's come from South America. He's, you know, absolutely fantastic. Everyone gravitates to him. We actually had a tour that got cancelled due to, to COVID-19. Um, and at the time, um, performance-wise, he probably... He was on a little bit of a downturn at the time. I mean, this year he's come back and he's, he's, he's turned up again. But performance-wise, he was... You know, you probably picking a squad of twelve players, for example. He was twelve or thirteen. It could, it it was a toss up. The reason why I selected him and I told him this because I said to him, "Look, I think performance wise, you need to do the A, B, and C. You need to improve. But the reason why I selected him is because socially, he will bring that group together on on a tour. You know, you, you go, you go away. Backs are against the wall. He'll bring everyone together." You're in the the restaurant in the evening. He's making everybody laugh. He's he's entertaining everybody. He's kind of driving that. So I, th- and I so I don't think you can you can look past those those things in players. I think those are just just as important as how good he is at, at taking a free kick. You know, you you need to look at th- those other bits as well. So um, yeah, so those are all the other things that kind of have to be considered. I think.
0: Yeah, and I think clubs are getting better and better at doing that, which is pleasing. And I think that the diversity of ideas, both in your your players and in your coaches, is only something that's going to help because it's going to challenge people and challenge people and preconceptions or challenge people and why they act the way that they do. And I've said this before, but I'll say, again, one of the reasons I started this podcast is because you think your journey is the norm. You think that your journey is the same as everyone else's, but soon you find out that actually – no two journeys are alike and there's yeah. always crazy turns for everyone. And I think, you know, the more you experiences you can get in a room uh, or on a field or whatever that is, the better it is for everyone. And the growth for a club or the players or the people is massive. Definitely. Um, so I've got a couple more questions for you um, before I let you go. Cause I appreciate you've been on for a while. So the first one was so you mentioned quite a lot around tours and whatnot that you've had, um, and I know from speaking to before, you kind of done study visits and whatnot. Where would you say is the most impressive, I guess, on the continent would be my guess, uh, place you've been where you've picked up an invaluable bit of information or invaluable culture or something that's really surprised you that you've, you've taken away with you?
1: Um, wow. I'm I, I'm really really fortunate because I've I've just got to experience so so much so far, but the one place that I always kind of come back to, um, in terms of and it links to what something I said before in terms of I just enjoy really 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 simple practices was um, when I got to go on a study visit to um, Villarreal, Real this during when I was doing my doing my ECAS I was on the ECAS and you, you have to organise your own kind of international placement, um, so. It's really funny because, and you can probably see the, the Barcelona top behind the tops behind me. Um, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Barcelona. Absolutely love Barcelona. I just mentioned the Barcelona way by Damien Hughes. Like in terms of like what that club stands for, um, the cultural aspect of that club is something that really really interests me. Um, we were talking yesterday about after the podcast about culture and. That is, that is the main driver of, of a successful club, um, if, if you get it right. But that will stand you in good stead for, for a long time. But I say that, I had the opportunity to go to Barca. It, it was a choice between Barca or Villarreal. And what I thought to myself at the time was, I can imagine Barcelona, being the club that they are, have thousands of coaches that go there every year, hundreds of coaches that go there every year. So they probably have a set program. This is they'll give you the program and say you can, you're doing this on Monday, this on Tuesday, and then this on Wednesday. And you probably don't even get to see much. You know they're probably not even letting you in. It's too deep. You know. So I just thought to myself, it's either that or I can go to a smaller club like Villarreal. Someone had said to me in terms of. Um, he said, think about this, Villarreal, really, really small town. Um, the biggest city um, next to them is, is Valencia. You know, a small town. So they're almost like, they could be very, very similar to Walls. Walls, small, t- small it's, it's a city, you know, <laughs> a very small city, but it's a city. But in comparison to Birmingham, it's, I'm from Birmingham, so I, I understand the size difference. So there's some similarities there. So I thought to myself, you know what, let me go to Villarreal because I reckon potentially I could probably see more. And I was absolutely right. I saw everything. They showed me absolutely everything. I got to watch first team training and I pretty much watched every group train from the first team down to um, to the under eights. Like absolutely everything. I got to watch a, a, a fixture, match days, um, how they work practices this and the other the one thing that i really really took away was well for two things two the first thing was again the culture of the club everything is streamlined from the first team down what helps with that is that the first team manager um what's his name Uh, i want to say jose something like that um he was a he was an academy player first team player first team manager so automatically you have got to get that streamlined through that's something that Barca kind of pride themselves in as well they always seem to have these managers that have had a previous link to the club whether it's through the academy through the through the first team. You know, at the moment it's, it's kind of Ronald Koeman if you look at all the managers they've had they all either played for the well they all played for the club if not they came through their academy um, so you automatically have that that streamline so you can really, really feel that at the club. You know, they took me into the dining room. One thing that in England is everything's kind of separate. Every club, every club is, the first team is separated from the from the rest of the 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 rest of the academy or the rest of the club. So the first team have the, their own dining room. Um, you know, they eat on their own, this, that, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. They get changed in their own place. At Villarreal, the first team ate in the same canteen as the kids, the residential kids. So the kids, you know, from under 12s up, they had a certain amount of children that lived like basically on campus and went to the local school. So the first team players are in, in the room. The boys, their rooms, they could wake up, literally wake up in the morning, open their curtain. And watch first team training. The first team pitch was like right outside the room. So I just thought culturally, that's that's massive. That's like for me, the kids are literally within touching distance all the time. They see, they can see the dr- they can see the dream. It's not just a dream, they can see it. So I, I took that away. From a coaching perspective, the biggest thing I took away was the practices. I saw every team do the same practice so three team three team game one team in this half one to, I've, I've talked about this on previous kind of podcasts and stuff that one team in this half one team in that half one team on the halfway line you've probably seen it the team on the halfway line can go and press that team for the red team say got to make a certain amount of passes then transfer the ball to the other side Every team I saw run this practice. I seen the first team running it. I seen the B t- the Villarreal B team doing it. I saw the under 19s doing it. I saw the under 14s doing it. I saw the under 11s doing it. I was like, wow, that's serious streamlining throughout throughout the academy they 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 just have a set of practices that everybody does and not just everybody even the even the first team would, were doing it which I found which I found amazing and it's a really really simple practice so it's a practice that I do all the time with 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 my boys um, so yeah that was kind of what one of the the best experiences for me I was, I was there for I was there for five days got to sit down with um, Got to sit down with, you know, the head of the academy. I got to sit down with the head of their international program. I got to sit down with um, people from different departments. Um, like I say, I got to watch, got to watch training, and then I just got to watch, um, just go around, go around the town. They inv- they invited me to a first team game, put me in a box for the first team game. Um, so the experience was just inc- incredible, incredible. It was really, really good. Yeah,
0: I think it raises a really interesting point. And I think, for you know, for those younger lads who are able to see the first teamers every day, what you'll probably see is the amount of commitment and dedication that goes into it, particularly those that are performing well. So you'll see him at lunch not, you know, stuffing his face or eating the right foods, or you'll see him doing extras. So all of a sudden, as a player, you're looking at it and going, well, if you've got first teamer doing extras, why aren't I? Or... Mm if he's really good at free kicks, I want to be, what does he do in order to do those things? So it's a clear pathway, which I think is really good.
1: And Uh, I know that God's... I was just going to add, just just to what you're saying, Um, the proof is in the pudding. So I could say all this, and then someone could turn around and say, well, okay, he's saying all that, but how many players are in their first team from their academy? Their, Their first team is pretty much made up of the academy. So... Uh, at the time i was there i think the year before they had beaten real madrid at the Bayo and out of the squad of 16 eleven had come from the from their directly from their academy so i think that the proof is that that is the proof that you need to say if you put the kids the players within touching distance and they can see the work that has to be put in at first team level like you've just said they're staying there doing extras okay i've got to do i've got to do it then i think it becomes more than a pipe dream it's, it's actually a reachable tangible dream rather than it literally just be, being a dream which it is for most of our for most of our players
0: yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think what's interesting you said about the session content is that's quite from my understanding the Spanish thing in terms of having a set of drills, which everyone does. Um, and I, I guess I have a bit of a dilemma with it in terms of does it take your coaches, you know, creativity away to a degree because you're not having to design the sessions. But one thing you it does do, which you've said there is um, it streamlines it, the players know the practice. So it's just about quality control, assuring, you know, technical outcomes are happening within that practice rather than spending time learning loads and loads of news ones. So I think there's a, you know, win-lose or win-win on both. I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong way, but I think it brings up an interesting dilemma in terms of how how do you deal with that? Um, I guess... Um, so last question for me is something I ask everyone which is who's the the best player or coach you've worked with or against and why <clears throat>
1: the best player or coach um, wow there's been there's been so, ma- there's been so many so many like, good coaches can I tell you about a, a coaching experience that really changed my changed my view? Yeah, sounds good. All right, so I guess I can name I guess I can name drop him, but it, it was really kind of in my academy journey, and I've I've told people this this story a number of times. Um, Nick Gittins at Man at Man United. Um, we're playing under I think it was an under nines game, under nines, under tens, and to put it in context, I'm very, very early in my academy journey. So I've come in I'm under eight coach of, I think I was, this is the, when I first became a lead coach, I think it was under nines, And it's the first time I'm playing against Man United. So, um, you know, Man United, I, I, I'm a Liverpool fan by kind of my football, but, you know, I, I'm not one of these. I'm very much, I respect, I respect, you know, the club and, you know, what, what they've achieved, the players they've produced. So I'm really excited for this game. I'm nervous. I wake up in the morning. I probably kind of sleep the night before. I'm like one of the players. Like, I'm playing Man United. And we're all, I think we're all like it. I think we get used to it to a certain extent. But one thing that I try not to lose is that kind of, that feel of, Wow, we're playing Chelsea today. We're playing Man United today. We're playing Liverpool today. Like you know, particularly when you're playing those big clubs, I still get that that feeling in my stomach, that excitement. But this was the first time I was playing Man U. So I wake up in the morning, probably before my alarm, because I'm I'm like I say, I'm I'm a bit nervous. I get in early. I get everything set up. I'm like, I've got to be on point today. If if my boys got any chance today, I've got to be on point. Get the kit out. You know, set it all up. Go into the dome. Set the pictures up because it's like seven v sevens. I get the um, I get the I get the uh, the balls out. Set my warm up up. I've spoken to the physio. All like, right, you're going to take the boys for, for this amount of time. Um, I'm going to take it for this amount of time. These are the team. Everything's ready. Buzzing. I think yeah. I, I there's nothing more I can do now. It's just down to the boys now. Man, you turn up. The boys get changed, making loads of noise in the changing room. They walk out. My boys are out already because, again, you know, I'm organised. I want to get them out. Borinho, they've got I a mean, there. Bear in mind, it's under nines football. And actually, when I think back on this now, I just shake my head. I think, what am I thinking? But I was, I was early. I was early on. So that's that's my excuse. I was early on. I didn't know. I I was seeing this as. I, and, and bear in mind I've come from coaching un, like you know under 14s under 30 under 18s football before that so man U come out coach footballs on his back I think this is this this wasn't Nick this was there is his support coach he put, empties the balls onto the pitch and the man U lads just start smashing balls all over the dome so what's going on? I'm expecting, my perception and my expectation is my new players are going to come out they're going to be dead drilled. I know they're running under nines, but who cares? They're going to be dead drilled. They're going to be in line. They're going to be doing loads of passing stuff. And I'm, and I'm, I'm ready to watch them to see what they're doing. They are smashing balls. They're taking free kicks. They're doing all those things that old school coaches say. Don't shoot in the goal. you, you know, You're got to put. You're gonna pull a muscle. Don't shoot in the goal. They're doing all that. About five minutes before kick-off, um, they got into a rondo. So we have got two rondos going on. Did a little bit of rondo. I'm thinking there's only five minutes to go. Like There's not even properly warmed up. Time to play. Nick put all the balls back in the bag. He plumped the bag on the side of the pitch and he sat on the bag with his legs folded and his arms crossed. And all he did all game, well done. Try that again. Oh, that was that was a good effort. This, that, and the other. And I remember there was even one moment in the game where um, I don't think we had a referee. I'm trying to remember whether we had a referee or not. But it was something happened. I think there might have been a little bit of a foul. So I've looked at Nick. He's gone, nah, give, give the goal. Like he, you know, it wasn't about... It was, sorry, not, not it wasn't about... It was all about, one, his players having fun. It was all about him, his players just trying things and not being afraid to make mistakes. Um, yeah, and the result yeah. the result wasn't... I mean, I look back on it and I say, well, one thing I know for sure is he had good players. You know, that you know, Man United are always going to have good players and he, and he did have that but even so, I, I, I believe that even if he was coaching a group that wasn't that good, he would still behave exactly the same and then the proof in the pudding for that is I've coached against them again at those younger age groups and I see, I see the same behaviours so that wasn't just him it, it, that's definitely a Man United thing I love going, going and playing away I don't know whether you've played away against them particularly under nines um where they play like the four v it's quite well known they play the four v fours so you split, you you group up and you play four v there's like a five v5 five game with a, with a goalkeeper four v four four goal game <clears throat> and a four v4 um line line game <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> so we have usually so you rotate this round and all the boys play four v four no referees nothing. That's for the first half of the fixture, and then for the second half of the fixture, you go over onto the main pitches and you play like two six v sixes or two seven v sevens. And and again, you know, when I've done that, you know the Man United coaches are, are very very welcoming. You know they they you know you're just on the side of the pitch. They offer you a, they offer you a cup of tea. Like I'm thinking, a cup of tea. Like I'm meant to be coaching. It says Mark, do you want do you want a cuppa? Uh, All right, there. So, you know, you're on the side of the feet, you're just having a sip of your tea. The boys are just having fun and playing. You know, it's not... So I think that that right there, that experience right there reopened up my eyes to the fact that, you know what? Why am I treating this like a first-team game? Why am I treating this like, you know, the boys have to be in on it? So my attitude changed. So if you speak to anybody about the way in which I prepared the boys for the game... I'm not one of these coaches that you know we're on the bus and we're pulling into we're st- pulling into um, Bath University and I'm going lads you've got to switch on now you know I'm none of that like up until we step out on the pitch I'm laughing and joking so I just think that one I want the boys to be as relaxed as I want them to be relaxed I, I don't want them to feel the pressure of the game I want them to to go into it and and because at the end of the day if we believe in in our in our program if we believe in what we do throughout the week and that and this probably comes from another area um i was watching um i don't know whether you've seen it all or nothing uh, the new zealand all blacks one i haven't and seen it
0: on yet it's on
1: my to watch <clears throat> this it's really really good but basically the, the head coach basically says basically does no coaching on the day of a game like nothing. It's only the only person that really speaks to the team is the captain, because he says if we've done our job Monday to Friday, then when Saturday comes, I shouldn't need to say anything else. Like everything should be ironed out before the day of, before the day. And that, again, that kind of um, changed my thinking a little. And I know it's a little bit different. I'm not comparing my under 11s to the New Zealand All Blacks, but I think that what it does is you don't need to hear my voice now. You know, you just need to just go on. Obviously, we'll talk about little different things within the game, and I'll I'll drive you and coach you where I feel like that's needed. But yeah, to go back to your original question, I think I guess Man Man United um, Foundation phase um, coaches and kind of their behaviors have had a massive did have a massive influence on me because I, I haven't I haven't seen that change. And all the times I've been lucky enough to play against them, when I look at the coach behavior. I don't, I don't see that change, no matter the circumstance.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great example, boy and I think you know, particularly those younger age groups, got to remember, be it in academy or grassroots football, kids want to have fun. So regardless of what your environment is and how you want to develop them, let them have fun first, and if they enjoy being there, they'll learn because they want to keep coming back. Um, so I think that's a, that's a great example. Listen, Mark, I really appreciate your time, some some fascinating stuff, and hopefully. We'll, we'll see each other face to face soon. And if not, we'll so. catch up for another one of these calls. I'm sure there'll be a lot more to talk about.
1: Brilliant. Cheers, Mike. Really appreciate it, mate. Thank Cheers. you. Speak to you soon. All right, fella.